This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of radial tunnel syndrome from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Radial tunnel syndrome is a compressive neuropathy of the posterior interosseous nerve with pain only. There is no motor or sensory dysfunction, and EMG slash nerve conduction studies are not useful. As far as the pathophysiology, it involves the same sites of compression as PIN syndrome, which include from proximal to distal, the fibrous bands anterior to the radiocapitellar joint, radial recurrent vessels, aka the leash of Henry, the medial edge of the ECRB, the distal edge of the superficial layer of the supinator, and the proximal aponeurotic slash tendinous edge of the supinator, aka the arcade of frost, which is the most frequent site of entrapment of the PIN. Normal radial tunnel pressure is 50 millimeters of mercury, and with a supinator stretch, that is, forced wrist flexion, the pressure increases to 250 millimeters of mercury. As far as risks of developing radial tunnel syndrome, constant pronosupination with a 1 kilogram force and the elbow in 0 to 45 degrees of flexion is a risk factor. As far as associated conditions, radial tunnel syndrome is difficult to distinguish from lateral epicondylitis and coexists in 5% of patients. Some relevant anatomy to know, the radial tunnel is 5 centimeters in length from the level of the radiocapitellar joint extending distally past the proximal edge of the supinator. The boundaries of the radial tunnel laterally include the brachioradialis, the ECRL, and the ECRB. Boundaries of the radial tunnel medially include the biceps tendon and the brachialis. The floor of the radial tunnel includes the capsule of the radiocapitellar joint. The posterior interosseous nerve is a branch of the radial nerve that provides motor innervation to the extensor compartment. The PIN passes between the two heads of the origin of the supinator muscle, and it has direct contact with the radial neck osteology, and it passes over the abductor pollicis longus muscle origin to reach the interosseous membrane, and then it traverses along the posterior interosseous membrane. As far as innervation, Motor innervation includes the common extensors like the ECRB, which is often from the radial nerve proper, but it can be from the PIN. Other motor innervations of the PIN includes the extensor digitorum communis, extensor digiti minimi, extensor carpial narus, and the deep extensors like the supinator, abductor pollicis longus, extensor pollicis brevis, extensor pollicis longus, and the extensor indices proprius. As far as sensory innervation, Sensory fibers of the PIN go to the dorsal wrist capsule, which are provided by the terminal branch, which is located on the floor of the fourth extensor compartment. There is no actual cutaneous innervation of the PIN. With respect to presentation, symptoms of radial tunnel syndrome include deep aching pain in the dorsal radial proximal forearm from the lateral elbow to the wrist. Symptoms will typically increase during forearm rotation and lifting activities. Any muscle weakness on exam is usually because of pain and not muscle denervation. Physical exam will elicit tenderness over the mobile wad over the supinator arch, and maximal tenderness is 3 to 5 centimeters distal to the lateral epicondyle, which is more distal than in lateral epicondylitis. Provocative tests include the resisted long finger extension test, which reproduces pain at the radial tunnel, and again, any weakness will be because of pain. The resisted supination test with the elbow and wrist in extension reproduces pain at the radial tunnel, and like the resisted long finger extension test, any weakness will be because of pain. Passive pronation with wrist flexion will reproduce pain at the radial tunnel, and passive stretch of the supinator muscle increases pressure inside the radial tunnel to 250 millimeters of mercury, 
Remember that normal is 50 millimeters of mercury. The radial tunnel injection test is diagnostic if the injection leads to a PIN palsy and relieves pain. On sensory exam, patients may have paresthesias in the first dorsal web space. However, there are typically no motor manifestations of radial tunnel syndrome seen on exam. With respect to imaging, MRI is usually negative, and it's really only indicated to identify muscle changes in muscles innervated by the PIN, like denervation, edema, slash atrophy within the supinator slash extensor muscles. It may also be used to evaluate compression sites, and it may show a thickened edge of the ECRB, prominent radial recurrent vessels, aka the leash of Henry, and or swelling of the PIN. MRI can also be used to identify other causes of entrapment, which are super rare, like tumors, ganglia, radial capitellar synovitis, bicipital bursitis, radial head fractures, and dislocations. As far as special studies, electrodiagnostic studies like EMG slash nerve conduction velocity tests are inconclusive because the PIN carries unmyelinated group 4 fibers, aka C fibers, which are responsible for nociception, and small myelinated group 2A afferent fibers, which are responsible for temperature. Pressure on these fibers produces pain, and these fibers cannot be evaluated by EMG slash nerve conduction velocity tests. The large myelinated fibers of the PIN remain normal, producing a normal EMG slash nerve conduction velocity test. Diagnostic injection of local anesthetic into the area of the localized tenderness is sometimes done, but it's important to ensure that the local anesthetic does not spread to the lateral epicondyle. Differential diagnosis for radial tunnel syndrome includes lateral epicondylitis, as we mentioned, and both conditions can coexist in 5% of patients. However, remember in lateral epicondylitis, tenderness is directly over the lateral epicondyle, while in radial tunnel syndrome, tenderness is 3 to 5 centimeters distal to the lateral epicondyle. Cervical radiculopathy at C6, C7 is also on the differential. However, electrodiagnostic studies may show denervation with this pathology versus radial tunnel syndrome. Treatment for radial tunnel syndrome can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity modification, temporary splinting, and NSAIDs, which are indicated as first line of treatment for at least one year. Activity modification in this context means avoiding prolonged elbow extension with forearm pronation and wrist flexion. Corticosteroid injections can be both diagnostic and therapeutic, as we mentioned. As far as outcomes, 70% of patients have improvement at six weeks, and 60% are pain-free at two years. Operative intervention involves a radial tunnel release, which is indicated for extensive non-operative treatment fails. However, as far as outcomes, surgical release has pretty disappointing results. Only 50 to 90% have good to excellent results, and there can be delayed maximal recovery of up to 9 to 18 months. There is an even lower success rate in the following groups. Concomitant multiple entrapment neuropathies, 60% of the time. Concomitant lateral epicondylitis, 40% of the time and workers' compensation patients 30% of the time. A radial tunnel release can be approached dorsally or anteriorly with respect to the PIN. As far as the dorsal approach to the PIN, three planes have been described, that is between the ECRB and the EDC, between the brachioradialis and the ECRL, and a transmuscular brachioradialis splitting approach. The anterior approach to the PIN is between the brachioradialis and the biceps. The technique involves the release of the arcade of frost, release of the distal edge of the supinator, and release of the fibrous bands superficial to the radiocapitellar joint. As far as outcomes, success rate of surgical decompression is 70 to 90%. That's all for this review about radial tunnel syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. 
Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.